Before I read chapter 13, there's been a question that has been coming up a lot because of something I said last week, and I want to take a second just to clarify it for you, and actually, hopefully, it will help a lot of folks. If you remember, we talked about the fact last week that there are those who are in heaven, and I believe the Bible shows that they can see what's actually going on down here on the earth. And for those that don't remember what I was talking about, we talked about Hebrews chapter 12, the fact that they were surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses and that they're able to see. Also, at the same time, if you remember Moses and Elijah, when they appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, they were talking with him about what was going to soon take place in Jerusalem. They were aware of what was going on on the earth. Remember when Saul had the witch there call up Samuel? Samuel knew what was happening on the earth and what was going to happen next. I believe the Bible teaches that those who are in heaven can see what's happening on the earth. Now, the reason why most of us have struggled with that over the years is our mindset has been, well, if they can see, heaven wouldn't be that good because how can they be in heaven looking at what's happening on the earth and be happy? How can, in heaven, there's, there's joy and there's peace. How can they see what's going on and, and be happy? Here, listen, we're looking at things with our perspective and with our eyes. Listen closely. When people get to heaven, they'll start to see things from an eternal perspective. The best way I can illustrate it to you is this. Have there ever been times in your life that something horrible was happening and you thought, this is awful. But then down the road, with a further bigger perspective, you look back and say, I'm so glad that happened. Do you know what I'm talking about? At the time, you thought it was horrible, but then later on you said, man, I'm so glad that happened. Those who are in heaven are able to see things on the earth with the eternal perspective. That's why when Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me, he wasn't freaked out about it because he knows eternally it was actually going to be good for Peter. And down the road, Peter was going to come out stronger. So those who are in heaven, if I'm correct, and I believe I am, that they're able to see what's going on and know what's happening on the earth, they see things the way God sees them, and they see the final result, and that's why. That's why I don't think they're going to be freaking out like we would be looking at it down here. All right? Now, Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 18. John says, Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and he makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. This is the passage we're going to try to break down tonight. Now, we're picking up where we left off many weeks ago in the middle of chapter 13. We have already been introduced to the first beast out of the sea, which had the ten horns and the seven heads. And we have seen that this first beast is the Antichrist, who actually uh, takes control of the whole world and is empowered by Satan himself. Go back to Revelation 13, look at verses 1 through 5, and we'll just kind of remind you about this first beast. John says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. 
And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And it, to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, this is Satan, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? So we've already been introduced in our study. We've already seen this first beast. And it's the Antichrist who's been given authority by Satan and he's allowed to control the whole world. Now we're being introduced tonight to a second beast, the Bible says. There's another beast. This beast has two horns like a lamb, but don't be fooled. It doesn't speak like a lamb. It speaks like the dragon, it says. Actually, Jesus himself warned us about such people who look one way and act another. And we see this beast, is, it sure looks like a lamb. But when he speaks, you'll realize that the dragon is speaking through him. Go with me to Matthew chapter 7, though, and let's take a look at something Jesus said to all of us about watching out for those who appear one way, but if you pay close enough attention, you'll realize they're not what they appear to be. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets. That's going to be important down the road tonight. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits." So here he says, watch out for these people that may look like a lamb on the outside, but inwardly they're what? They're not just wolves, they're ravenous wolves. They're, 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 they're nasty. And he said there's going to be those false prophets. In other words, he said, if he describes them as false prophets, these are going to be people that have an appearance of being religious. They claim to speak for God. But he says what you got to do is you got to watch their lifestyle. Don't be fooled by what they say. But watch their life, because that will give the true evidence of whether or not they are really from God. And that's why Paul, a couple times in his writings to some of the churches, I know he says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says to the church, I hear there are divisions among you. And he says, and no doubt there must be divisions to show which of you have the Spirit or not. The Bible also says that there's going to be evidence of whether or not we're in the flesh or whether or not we're in the Spirit. The evidence of the Spirit we've all heard of is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. But the Bible also says in, in that same passage, just a few verses earlier, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 19, the acts of the flesh are also obvious. And it says fits of rage, dissensions, faction, envy, strife, and all these types of things. And so, folks, what I want to just kind of lay out for you is there's, a, there's an individual coming called the false prophet. And I'll introduce you. We've begun to be introduced to him tonight. We're going to look a little bit more about who this is. But at the same time, we need to also keep in mind that in our day today, there are going to be those who claim to speak for God. And the Bible actually says that in the last days, there's going to be doctrines taught by demons. In the last days, there's going to be people who claim to speak for God, and they're going to teach things that aren't in line with the Scriptures. How are you going to know? Whether or not this person, how are you going to know whether or not Jim Johnson is teaching you things of God? Match it up to the word and listening to the spirit. But what do we also say? Watch their life. Watch their life. And so, folks, I think also understanding what Jesus just said will also help us understand 
the verses here in Matthew chapter 7 that follow right afterwards in verses 21 through 23. Listen to what Jesus says. In the same context, he goes on and says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, for years when I read this, I read that those verses there as if these people were going to be surprised. You ever had it kind of taught that way, that when they get to stand before God and he says, I don't know you, they're going to go, what? Wait, we preached. We cast out demons. We did all this stuff. And I've for years read that these individuals would be caught by surprise at the day of judgment. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches, not only from this context, but I'm going to show you other illustrations of why. I think as you put this verses 21 through 23 in with the verses right ahead of time, he said, watch out for these false prophets who are outwardly looking like a lamb, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves and they know what they're doing. And then he goes on and says, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my father. And so what I want to ask you this question, does the God who, of this, who draws the world to himself in love, and convicts the world of their sin, does he, is he going to leave, pe leave people guessing as to their condition for him? No, okay, your answer is correct if you're saying no. As I put it in my notes, he would never leave them guessing as to their true condition spiritually. Now, they may ignore his spirit, but they know where, where they stand. And it's one thing to say, you're, no, he will never leave the world guessing as their spiritual condition. But I want you to also back that up with Scripture. This is what I hope to do in, in the time that I got left on this earth. I want to be used of God to get you to understand the need of the Scriptures, to know the Scriptures. Because too many of us are building our theology on, well, I don't believe God would ever leave someone guessing. Well, you know what? You guessed right. John tells us that I write this so that you have the very good. First John chapter 5, verse 13, I write these to you who believe in the name of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Not only that, what does it say in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 18 and following? The world is without excuse. God has revealed himself. The fact that he exists is clearly seen. But there's more than that. Go with me to John chapter 16. Too many people today, if they even discuss things of the Spirit, talk of things of God, Unfortunately, the conversations degrade into, well, I think, well, I believe, I would have trouble worshiping a God who, you ever heard those kind of things? And folks, you need to be one who doesn't get sucked into those kind of conversations, but knows what the Word of God says. So if you say, Jim, I don't think God would ever leave anybody guessing, you made a good guess, and you're right, He won't. But do you have any scriptural reason why? If you don't, let me show you a couple real quick. Go to John 16, verses 7 and 8. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you that it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When the Holy Spirit came after Jesus ascended to the Father, and then God sent the Spirit, the Spirit was going to do what? Convict the world of their sin, their need of righteousness, and the fact that there's a coming judgment. Go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, starting in verse 16, and we're going to go all the way through verse 21. In John chapter 3, verse 16, look at what it says. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Did you catch that? God's already made it clear. You, there's not going to be people that get to heaven and say, well, I didn't know. God says, actually, you have known. And I've used many ways to show you. And he already says here, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're condemned already. Keep reading. Verse 19. And this is the judgment. People always say, Jim, when I stand before God, he's going to weigh my good and my bad. And a lot of times I'll take him right here and says, actually, the Bible says the verdict has already been decided. And this is the verdict of the judgment. The light has gone, come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So, folks, let me just ask you again. When the Bible says many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and didn't we do that? And I'll say I never knew you. Are those people going to be surprised that they're not getting into heaven? Not according to the scriptures. No, the Bible says they knew. God has revealed himself. His spirit convicts the world of sin. God opens the eyes of the blind. Listen to me say something very clearly to you. There is no such thing as an atheist. They're just cowards. The Bible's very, very clear that God has revealed himself. The fact that, remember when your kids were little and they used to think this is how you played hide and seek? And they thought when you did this, you couldn't see them. That's the atheists in our world today. God's revealed himself. They may ignore it. They may try to convince themselves that he's not there. But deep down, they know. Because the Bible says they know. The Bible says they know. All right. So Jesus says, watch out. There's going to be false prophets that come out into the world. And like I touched on earlier, the Bible says in the last days, there's going to be many. But as you're about to see, there's one that is coming and he is known as the false prophet. And that's the second beast that we're being introduced to here in Revelation 13. This beast that comes out of the earth. It has two horns like a lamb and it speaks like a dragon. Let me explain to you how we know that this, is, this man's called the false prophet. The book of Revelation actually tells us that. Go to Revelation 16 and look at verse 13. Revelation chapter 16, verse 13. And John says, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. We'll get to them in a little bit later on in our study, not tonight, of course. But when we get to this part of Revelation, chronologically, we'll explain what the frogs are and all that stuff. But right now, we see that there's the dragon, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Go to Revelation chapter 19. Look at verse 20. And the beast was captured with... And with it, the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And you say, wait a minute, where's the dragon? He's going to be thrown into a pit for a thousand years, going to be released. But at this point, when the Antichrist and the false prophet are captured by Jesus, they're going to be thrown straight into the lake of fire. Satan's going to join them a thousand years later. But at this point, they're thrown into the lake of fire. Go to Revelation chapter 20, look at verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they'll, there they will be tormented day and night 
forever and ever. So, as we look tonight at what's going on here in the second half of Revelation chapter 13, we see that this second beast, this another beast that looks like a lamb but speaks like the dragon, is the, what the Bible describes as the false prophet. There have been many false prophets, but there is one coming during the tribulation period known as the false prophet. All right. Actually, the book of Jude talks to, to us about that a little bit. Go to Jude in verses 3 through 25. Jude verses 3 through 25. We're going to look a little bit more at a description of what these false prophets look like. Jude verses 3 through 25. And you guys are getting good because no one's asking me what chapter anymore. I used to always love to just say, Jude, just go to verse 3. What chapter? You've never read Jude. But you guys didn't do it tonight. Jude verse 3. Look at verse 3 through 25. Beloved, Jude says this. Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people, these false prophets that he's talking about, also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up, up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of His holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage." But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. 
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. So John, sorry, Jude wanted to write to them about this awesome salvation that we've been given. But as he was about to write to them about this awesome salvation, he felt led of the Spirit to change the whole purpose of his letter. And the purpose of his letter then became to say, watch out for those who are among us who are going to lead us away from the truth of Jesus Christ. And he spends all this time talking about the judgment that's coming to them, and he describes them as clouds without rain. In other words, they, they look like they're going to give you something that's helpful, but a cloud that doesn't give any rain isn't really helpful. And he goes on and describes them in this manner. And then he says to those of us who are saved, he says, but to him who's able to keep us from stumbling. Remember when Paul met in Acts chapter 20 with the Ephesian elders, and he said to them, I don't believe I'm going to see you guys ever again, but I wanted to see you one last time before I go. And then he says, watch out. Because after I leave, from among your own number will arise those who are going to lead people away to follow after them. And so, folks, I could take the rest of tonight showing you how over and over and over the Scriptures warn us that there are going to be those among us who actually aren't of us. Is it our job to figure out which is really, who in here is really saved and who's not? No, the Bible's very clear. Jesus said, don't try to separate the wheat and the tares. Don't try to separate the weed and the wheat. That's God's job. But we're to be alert to that fact because there are going to be those who claim to be one of us who never were. Did you ever wonder why God chose Judas to be one of the 12 apostles? Did, was Jesus fooled by Judas? I mean, did Judas fool him? No, Jesus knows everything about everybody. Yet when he came down from that mountain and that night in prayer, he designated 12 of all the disciples that were there to be his apostles. And one of them he designated was Judas. And I think one of the main reasons, not only to fulfill scripture, was also so we would learn this principle, understand this truth. By the way, let me ask you a question. Why do you think God allows this kind of junk to go on in the church? I mean, why does God allow false prophets to come up within? Why does God allow people to pretend to be one of us, but they never really were, and to cause the mess and do the damage they do in the church? Anybody have any idea why God allows it? Because he could stop it, couldn't he? I'm sorry? Oh, do you think that this actually might be good? Because it hopefully will make you dive into this book and to walk close with the Lord and learn to recognize the difference between truth and error. And so folks, what could be a night of, oh, how horrible this is, and who, who's the bad ones in here? Is it me? Actually could be a good thing. Because it will make you stronger. That's why he says, the one who's able to keep you from falling. If you really are his, remember Paul said, I'm confident of this very thing, that who began this good work and you will finish it. If Jesus is in your heart and you are his child, he's going to get you there. We might have days where we stumble a little bit, but he's going to keep us from falling. But I want to challenge you that as we would all agree, and many of us are all here because we believe we're getting close to the return of Jesus Christ and the rapture of the church and all these things in Revelation that we're studying about are about to take place. As we get closer to it, don't forget that even though there is a false prophet who is coming, there are many of those among us right now. And unfortunately, I see too many people in the church today getting sucked into their teaching. 
And these are individuals that will build doctrines over a verse here or a verse there, but not use the whole of Scripture. And you've got to know what the whole of Scripture says so you know whether or not what they're teaching is true. So my encouragement to you tonight is we can sit here and look at the false prophet, but hopefully none of us are ever going to meet him. But there are many among us. And Jim, just tell me who they are. Just give me a name. Give me a list. Just tell me which preachers to listen to, which ones don't. Have you ever noticed that as much as the Bible talks in this way, the Bible doesn't name names? The only names I can even find are Hymenaeus and Alexander. And Paul said, watch out for Hymenaeus and Alexander. But besides that, he doesn't say which ones are the ones. You know why? Because like we just said, God's design in having this allowed is that we would individually dive into this book, know what we believe it's saying, learn how to listen to the Spirit for ourselves. And if all you did was listen to the people that Jim said to listen to and avoid the people that Jim said to avoid, is that drawing you closer to Jesus or are you a follower of Jim? We don't want you to be followers of Jim. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. That, actually, I was preaching at a place recently and they introduced me as Jim Jones. <laughs> and they, then they said, and just go to his website. You can look up all information about him. I'm like, don't go to Jim Jones's website. But uh, all right. You know, the Bible actually says that there have been many antichrists as well. And that there's one coming. Let me show you real quick. Go to 1 John chapter 2. You're, you're in Jude. Just turn, turn left just real quick to 1 John chapter 2. Look at verses 18 through 27. Well, um, well, I believe that, I don't know if I would word it the way you worded it in the sense that God has to have them ready. But yes, I will not, it shouldn't be surprising that there's one that could step up at any moment because Satan's been grooming him for a while. But Satan doesn't know the timing either. Exactly. First John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. Children, it is the last hour. By the way, when John wrote this, it was almost 2,000 years ago. Remember, we've already dealt with this. Remember, we're in the last time period before all this stuff, the tribulation and the return of Christ, all that. We're in the last time period. It is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. By the way, when they say he's the Christ, they're saying that he's God. Okay? In order for someone to say Jesus is the Christ, that means he's the Messiah. And in order for him to be the Messiah, he has to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. And there's a famous one about the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What's the next part? Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So when, if they are not willing to say that Jesus is God, they're not of us. Even though they claim to be Christian. Mormons claim to be Christian, don't believe Jesus is God. They believe Jesus and Satan were brothers. They believe he's a son of God. If you ask them, these people that knock on your door, do you believe Jesus is the son of God? They'll say yes. And you'll go, okay, good. No, 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 no. They don't mean son of God like you mean son of God. The Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus is God. 
They believe he's a step below God, an emanation from God, but there's only one God, and Jesus is not him. The Bible says, who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Messiah, the one promised, who would be God himself. All right. Who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. And so my encouragement to you tonight is this. Is in a room this big with this many people here, I pray that every one of you know the Lord and that you know Him as your Savior and you know that He is the Christ. God himself who took on flesh, lived without sin, died in your place, rose from the dead by his own power and is coming again. But just because you come to a Bible study on Tuesday night doesn't mean that you know him. And maybe part of the reason why some of you are here is because God is using it to bring you to him. And so, folks, if the spirit of God brings you to that point where you realize I'm not saved. See, there's a big difference between wondering if we're saved and knowing we're lost. How many of you will be willing to say right here, you know before God, without question, you are saved through faith in Jesus Christ? All right, praise the Lord for that. Put your hands down. Of all of you that raised your hands and said, you know you're saved, how many of you have questioned whether or not you're saved at some time in your life? <laughs> all of us. Satan loves to mess with us to make us wonder. Listen closely. There is a huge difference between wondering if you're saved and knowing you're lost. Too many preachers have made a living off of making people question if they're saved. I don't want to be one of those guys. But I can tell you this. If you are not saved, the Spirit of God will show you. And you won't be getting there at the judgment and going, I didn't know. I thought I was in. No. The Spirit of God will show you if you're lost. And if you know you're not saved... Please don't leave here tonight without talking to somebody. And if it needs to be Jesus himself, do it with Jesus himself. He'll save you. You don't need the preacher. All right. Now, I don't know how many of you have caught this yet. But Satan is building his own unholy trinity. Has anybody seen this yet? You're going to see tonight that Satan is he, he's, he doesn't he doesn't do anything new. And all he, he wants to be God so bad. All he does is copy what God does. Remember, we have already seen in the scriptures, hopefully you understand, that even though there's one God, he's manifested himself in three persons. That's why even back in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let us make man in our image. He told the nation of Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's only one God, but he's manifested himself, has always manifested himself in three persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And those roles are interesting. The Father actually is the authority, and the Son, who is still God, submitted Himself while He was on the earth to the role of whatever the Father would have Him do. If you were to look at, at uh, John chapter 5, verses 19 and following, Jesus Himself says, The Son can do nothing by Himself. He only does what He sees His Father doing. Go to John chapter 14, though. Look at John chapter 14. A wonderful, cool passage that might be helpful for you and me on how I'm to live my life and how you're to live yours. In John chapter 14, look at verse 10. 
Jesus said, do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Who was empowering Jesus to live out his life while he was on the earth? God the Father. Now Jesus is God, yet he took on human form. And as a man walking on this earth, does God get tired? Does God sleep? Yet Jesus rested. He slept. He napped. He took cruises. Remember? <laughs> Sleeping on the pillow on the boat. There's a little commercial for our cruise coming up. But that'd be a good thing. But when, as a man, he lived on this earth, empowered by the Father, and he only did what the Father had him do, and he only did it through the Father's power. Catch that. He didn't try to live for God, doing the things God would want him to do. He only did what the Father told him to do, and he only did it if the Father was empowering him and doing it through him. It's one thing to know what God wants you to do. It's another thing to learn how to let God do it through you. That's something I've had to learn over the years in the gifting that God's given me. To the point now that whenever I go preach somewhere, and I was there this past weekend, had the privilege of preaching four times over this past weekend, and people walk up and say, we're really looking forward to hearing you tonight. And I always go, me too. Because <laughs> I'm looking forward to it because I know what direction he wants us to go, but how we get there, God will show me as we go. And I've learned to preach and to teach the word in the spirit, listening to God as we go. Oh, I've done my study. I've made my notes. But as I go, if you were to go back and look at my notes, you'll say three quarters of what you said wasn't even there. Good. I'm hoping that almost all of it wasn't there, you know. But at the same time, the Father empowered the Son. What was the Holy Spirit's role? To bring glory to the Son and the Father because the Father was the one doing His works through the Son. Did you catch that? The Father empowered the Son and the Holy Spirit brought glory to the Son. At this point, who is empowering the Antichrist? Satan himself, the dragon. We saw that earlier in Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. And who, the false prophet, representing the Holy Spirit, as we'll go back to Revelation 13 now, you'll see, his role is to bring glory to the Antichrist and have everybody worship the Antichrist. Satan has created his own unholy trinity. Look at verse 12 of Revelation 13. Revelation 13, verse 12, it, this is the, the second beast of the false prophet, exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast, that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. All right. Now, we don't know what the Antichrist mortal wound is or even will be, but it is mentioned a lot. And I want to kind of from all the places that I found that it's mentioned, I want us to kind of build a little bit of a scriptural understanding about this mortal wound. All right. Revelation chapter 13. Look at verse three again. It says in verse 3, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound. By the way, is that a, a wound that'll kill you or a wound that'll wound you? Kill you. A mortal wound, but it's a fatal wound. But its mortal or fatal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Look at chapter 13, verse 12. 
And it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Look at verse 14. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it, this is the false prophet, deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So we see now that this individual, the Antichrist, is going to be killed and come back to life. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Didn't I tell you? All Satan can do is copy. This is the Antichrist. The real Christ, Jesus, was killed and came back to life. And guess what's going to happen to this Antichrist? He's going to be killed and he's going to be back to life. Go to Revelation chapter 17. In Revelation chapter 17, look at verses 8 and then verse 11. In Revelation chapter 17, verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. And we see how it, was, it appeared, died, came back to life. Look at verse 11. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. All right? Now, what I want you to understand is that the Scripture is very clear so far that this Antichrist is going to be killed and then come back to life. How? We don't know. When? We're not sure. There's a possibility that it's happened prior to when he reveals himself as the Antichrist in the sense that when he, remember, when he steps into the wing of the temple, declares himself to be God and makes everybody worship him and goes after Israel and they run for their lives at the midpoint, it, my guess would be that it happens sometime prior to this. Maybe it happens between when he comes on the scene. Remember we saw at the beginning of Revelation in chapter 6 when he, when he comes as, the, as a rider on the white horse pretending to be like Jesus. And he was able to get authority and rule over the world, but he doesn't use warfare or anything. He uses flattery and guile. Maybe sometime in this time period, he dies and comes back to life, and everybody's so wowed by it that they want to follow him. And as we've seen tonight, this false prophet, this religious leader, the religious leader is going to cause all the people of the earth to worship the Antichrist because he was killed and he came back to life. Not only that, as we've seen, he causes everybody to make an image of this guy. And then the, anti, sorry, the false prophet is allowed by God to give breath to this image. And it actually begins to speak. And everybody's saying, this must be the guy. And the world worships him. Now, then we see back in Revelation 13, let me read it to you here. Starting in verse... Verse 15, the false prophet was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed, be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now the scripture goes on and says, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Now, 
the false prophet's going to make people of the earth make an idol or an image for the beast, and the false prophet will give life to the image, and it will speak, and it will cause all to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. Stick with me here, because I am actually can't wait to show you. In all my years of studying prophecy, and all my years of looking at this stuff, God showed me something for tonight that I had never seen before, and I can't wait to show you, but I want to lay the foundation. Where are these people to receive the mark? If they're going to worship the beast and receive its mark, where do they receive the mark? On their right hand or their forehead. Keep that in mind. That's going to be important later on. Without this mark, people on the earth will not be allowed to be able to buy and sell, the scripture says. And if you won't take the mark or worship the beast, you're going to be killed. But you will live spiritually. But you will be killed on the earth. Go to Revelation chapter 20 and look at verse 4. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. It says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now listen closely. The scripture is very clear. At this time, individuals on the earth, everyone, we've already read this tonight in Revelation 13, whether small or great, rich or poor, slave or free, everyone is going to have to make a decision. Do you realize that there are people right now that are thinking that they can just, you know, build their little compound, get enough weapons, a stockpile enough food, and we'll be able to protect ourselves from what's to come? Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that if God's leading you to do that kind of a thing, you're not supposed to do it. But let me just tell you, if the Bible says that everyone's going to have to make this decision, everyone's going to have to make this decision. And the Bible says that everyone's going to have to make this decision. And for those who choose not to worship the beast and not to receive the mark, you've signed your own death warrant at that time. But the Bible says that if you are willing to be put to death for the sake of the real Christ, not the Antichrist, that God will reward you and you'll be able to come to life when he sets up his kingdom onto the earth and you'll be given righteousness because of that. You've signed your life. Yes, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. You, that's a great way to put it. But listen closely to Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 through 11. If you take the mark, you will be damned. The Bible's very, very clear. You have sold your soul, if you will. It has been decided at that moment. Revelation chapter 14, look at verses 9 through 11. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast in its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. By the way, is that vague? That's not vague. Well, Jim, why are you telling us this? Well, you've already been showing us we're not going to be here. Yeah, but we have been given this message to tell people. They may not respond now, but I believe that they'll be given opportunity later on. And we need to make sure people know, don't take the mark. You might be a grandmama. And you might have grandkids. And you might be considered weird or wacky. Because every time you kiss your grandchild, you say, I love you, honey. I hope you know Jesus. 
But if you choose to reject Jesus and all the Christians disappear, there's going to be a guy come on the scene and he's going to make everybody receive a mark on their hand or their forehead. Don't take the mark. Well, Grandma's gone cuckoo again. <laughs> but you never know how that seed might be planted for a day that hopefully never happens, that your child would hear the truth and know what the Scripture says. So, folks, let me just tell you, we're to know this so we pass it on. Aren't you glad Isaiah talked about all the stuff that was going to happen when Jesus came on the scene and died for our sins? Did it happen in Isaiah's lifetime? Isaiah could have said, this, this, all this prophecy that God's been giving me is not going to happen in my lifetime, so why am I worrying about it? Oh, aren't we glad Isaiah wrote it down and passed it on? Aren't we glad that all the prophets like Jeremiah wrote it down and passed it on? Aren't we glad that we have the prophecies that have been told to us, that we can see they're being fulfilled and we could believe in Jesus? Just because we won't be here when this happens doesn't mean we're not to tell people. We know, well, let me just put it to you this. Know that what the Bible says now and believe in Jesus today so that you can escape these days. But if you choose to reject God's offer of salvation, please know that believing in the truth in those days are going to be very, very hard. Now, I'm not just saying this to the room that's here. Like I said, most of you all raised your hands. You know that you're in Jesus, and that's awesome. But I also know that these messages are recorded. And I have been blown away by how far and wide around this world these messages are going. I'm getting emails and contact from people running into folks who are listening to the messages, and I never even knew that there was even a possibility, even in Damascus, Syria, right now. Folks, let me just tell you, God is doing some awesome things through what He does in technology. I share some of these things that I'm going to share, not just for the people in the room, but for anybody that might be listening. If you choose to reject God's offer for salvation prior to when the rapture comes, know that your opportunity to be saved afterwards, I believe the Bible teaches, will still be there, but it will be extremely hard. Here's why. We've already read how the false prophet will be able to perform great and miraculous signs, even calling down fire from heaven. Now remember, Pharaoh's magicians copied the same signs that God did through Moses. Remember that way, way back when God told Moses and showed him how to throw his staff on the ground and it became a snake? And so he gets in Pharaoh's presence and he takes his rod and throws it down and becomes a snake. What did Pharaoh's magicians do as well? They threw theirs down and they became snakes. Now, of course, Moses' snake ate all their snakes. But at the same time, they were able to perform the same miraculous signs. And this Antichrist and this false prophet are going to be able to do things that are going to be miraculous and wowing, which is going to fool a lot of people. Listen to what Jesus actually says. Go to Matthew 24. <clears throat> Matthew 24. Look at verses 15 through 25. It says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then that those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on his housetop not go down to take what's in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for the women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here he is, or here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. 
You see it? It's going to get real bad, and you're, there are going to be people that are doing, saying they're the, they're the Christ. They're going to be doing major, 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 major miracles and amazing miracles. And it says it's going to be fooling a lot of people. But there's another reason you want to avoid these days. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Paul says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter, seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth, and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, because they refuse to love the truth and be saved, therefore God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Listen closely. There are preachers that I respect, Bible teachers that I believe are of God and full of the Spirit in their teaching, who will use this passage to say that if you had your opportunity to be saved and you missed it because the rapture came and the church was taken away and you are left here for this time period known as the tribulation, there are those who believe that if you had an opportunity to be saved and you reject it, you will not be able to be saved because God will send a delusion so that you're unable to believe. I am not in the camp of those who believe that that's what is going to happen. The reason I am not in that camp is this is the only verse people use to build that doctrine. And you really can't build a doctrine on one verse. But let me just tell you this much. The Bible does say that for those who are alive at that time, especially those who hadn't a chance to be saved and rejected it, it's going to be very, very, very hard to believe. If you're sitting here now saying, I'm not so sure, I'm not sure I really believe in this Jesus stuff and giving my life to him and trusting that God will give me righteousness or saying no to my sin and yes to the spirit. If you think you're struggling with it now, you ain't seen nothing yet. The Bible says that it's going to be very hard to believe at that time because of the crazy miracles these false people are going to be doing and because God's going to send a delusion that's going to make it very hard where people will believe what is false. So, again, I say, believe now. Believe now. Now, as we wrap up tonight, we're going to deal with the only thing you've been wanting to hear all night. What is this 666 or this mark of the beast? When the scripture says, knowing what the mark of the beast calls for wisdom, I think it's showing us that this is a mystery yet to be revealed. Let's be honest. People for years have tried to figure out what 666 is, isn't it? They've done all the math, and they, first they thought it was Ronald Reagan, maybe it was Napoleon, maybe it was this person, maybe... I mean, they do all these, 
hieroglyphics and stuff and looking at Bible codes and all these different things to try to... If it was possible to know, I think we would know. But we don't, do we? Actually, Jesus said a very similar thing in the passage we just read in Matthew 24 when it talks about uh, the abomination of desolation, let the reader understand. Folks, I want you to understand, I don't believe that we yet know what this mark is, but I have since found something that I'd never seen before, and I can't wait to show it to you. Don't try to guess what the mark of the beast is. Avoid it. All right? But there is something here in Revelation 13 that will help us. Go back to Revelation 13. Look at verse 16. Also it, again, the false prophet or the second beast, causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. What we do know from this passage is that not only will this mark be on your right hand or on your forehead, it is going to be what? What does the Bible tell us this mark is going to be? The name of the beast or the number of its name. Did you catch that? Don't miss that. Here's something that jumped off the page at me and can't wait to show it to you. The Bible tells us that the mark, whatever the mark is, is going to be the name of the Antichrist or the number of the Antichrist name, whatever that means. Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to spend all your time trying to figure out, is Obama the Antichrist? Don't try to figure out, is it this new guy in, 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 uh, in Greece, like some people are trying to say. The Bible says he won't be revealed until the church is gone. So you don't want to know. If you know, that's not a good thing. So don't waste your time. But don't miss this. The mark is going to be his name or the number of his name. And his name is going to be written where? On people's hands or on their foreheads. And my prayer is that some of you who study the scriptures are all of a sudden catching on to something here. Go with me to Revelation chapter 3. Look at verses 10 through 14. Revelation chapter 3, look at verses 10 through 14. Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven. And my, and my own new name. He who has an ear, he let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what did Jesus just say? For those of us who believe and those of us who conquer. Yes, it was written to the church in Philadelphia, but it was written to the churches. He says, I'm going to put my name on you. And not cool. That means you belong to him. Okay, Jim. So... Satan's copying again with his name thing. Yes, he is. They're going to have the name of the Antichrist on them. They're going to belong to him. But it gets better. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
Look at verses 4 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Did anybody catch that? Actually, the devout Jews would carry the scriptures right here. And you'd ever seen some of those people that have that little thing? It was a leather pouch, and it was right here on their forehead, and had some of the scriptures in it. God said way, way back, I want you to know me, and I want you to know my word, because it is him. It's alive. And I want you to put it on your wrist, and I want you to put it on your forehead. I want it to become everything you are, your right hand, your forehead, and I'm going to put my name on you, and you're going to be mine. It don't matter who the Antichrist is. It doesn't matter what his name is or what the number is, but it does matter that what he's going to do is just simply copy God again. And he's all along been saying, I want to be your everything, and I'm going to put my name on you and mark you as mine. I actually believe every one of us who are in Christ already have a new name. We're going to find it out one day. Remember when Peter gets saved? Jesus sees him for the first time and he says, you're Simon. One day you will be Peter. Later on when he says, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Flesh and blood didn't open your eyes. My father did. And I say, you are Peter. You become that new man that I already saw you were going to be. And folks, every one of us, if you're in Christ, he's already given you. He sees the finished product. You're not who you were. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That's a cool deal. So instead of worrying about who the Antichrist is going to be or what the mark is or what the number is or whether it's going to be a tattoo or a computer chip, why don't we deal with is his name and his word here, here, and here and on the doors of your house. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I love you. Thanks for coming. We'll see you in a week.